You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Hello and welcome to the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Diane Brady. Every business wants to do well, both, of course, in society and also in its bottom line. And one of the most important factors, it turns out, is the boss factor. What is it? Well, we are joined today by Tara Alice, who is the Director of Research and Economics in McKinsey's UK and Ireland office, who will tell us more about it. Tara, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Diane. It's really my pleasure to be here today. So, Tara, tell me, what is the boss factor? The boss factor is the fact that bosses have an enormous influence on workers' well-being through their relationships. And it turns out that people's job satisfaction has an enormous influence on their overall life satisfaction. So even though things like health and mental health are obviously important for whether somebody's happy in their lives, after that, the second most important thing is actually whether they're happy in their job. And out of that, the massively most important factor is how their relationship is with their boss. So bosses have a huge influence, not just on the financial performance of businesses, but also on the well-being of the workers and hence their societal impact. So what prompted you to look at it right now in this pandemic? So we actually started work on looking at measures beyond kind of shareholder value and measures beyond GDP when we look at the economy a while back. And when you look at that, um, you come across measurements of life satisfaction And you just need to look at the data and you very quickly realize that bosses are very important. And there's this paradox where on one hand, your relationship with your boss is the most important thing, by far the most important thing in terms of your job satisfaction. But many, many people, in fact, more than 70% of people say that spending time with their boss is the most stressful time of the entire working week. So there is clearly room for improvement here. I'm surprised at how high the number is in terms of the dissatisfaction. There are quite a lot of very good bosses, and then there are quite a lot of very bad bosses. And even the very good ones don't necessarily realize that their impact on the people that work with them goes well beyond the kind of business impact or the impact inside the workplace, that it kind of bleeds into that person's overall life satisfaction. And as we describe in the article, there are, of course, also organizations where you tend to see some concentrations of good and bad bosses. So, for example, if you have, broadly speaking, good bosses that you report to yourself, then you're more likely to be a good boss yourself. First, because you see that role modeling and you recognize that that's what's expected and what's appreciated in your firm, but also because you personally feel the positive effects of having a nice boss, having a boss that really empathizes with you, having a boss who really cares about you as a person. Do you think that the pandemic has made things worse in terms of exacerbating the tensions that we have with our boss? It's a really interesting question. And the evidence to date is really interestingly mixed. So, you know, in some ways there are, it depends both on the person, the employee and the the boss. 
and their style. And before I even get into that, we should remember that something like 60% of all people, certainly in the UK, but in most developed economies, can't actually work from home. And so it's really only the 40% who couldn't even in theory work from home. So sort of office workers and knowledge workers who we're talking about. The 60% who can't work from home are people like dentists or bus drivers or beauticians or you name it. We shouldn't leave them out of the equation. But just speaking about the office workers, there seem to be a lot of different segments. Certain individuals seem to take to homeworking really well. It improves their well-being and their productivity. And others find it a struggle, whether it's for personal reasons or because their kind of environment is not ideal. Certain bosses are very good at maintaining and building relationships, even when it's remote, when you can only communicate with phone or with video conferencing. And others are really bad at it, even in real life. And it's probably made worse by having to do or doing it remotely. So I don't think there's a universal one single experience that people are having. The one thing that there has been some recent research on, which is quite intriguing, is that many people who started to work from home are finding it somewhat liberating. So they feel that they have a little bit more autonomy. And we do know from previous research that autonomy is an incredibly important part of actually feeling satisfied with your own job, feeling that you have some say over how things get done when they get done and feeling that you're trusted and empowered is is actually really good for your job satisfaction. So I suspect there will be people who are actually feeling quite good about the current situation. So basically that your boss is not quite as powerful in your life as you thought before, that would make you happier? I think it's not necessarily just about how powerful they are, but also like what their attitude is. Obviously, for that sort of remote working relationship to work well from both the bosses and the employee's point of view, um, there needs to be trust and the employee does need to actually do the work. Perhaps more that bosses have realized in this pandemic that the only way they're going to be able to have an effective team that still continues to deliver despite enormous pressures from inside and outside of the business is by building that trust and by putting extra effort into spending time with people to to really connect with them. Because otherwise, as we know, on the other kind of flip side of the coins, there's real concerns about burnout and people sort of not being able to draw boundaries between work and home when they're working from home. And really good bosses have kind of listened to all that information and have changed the way they behave and perhaps enabled in doing so a much more kind of independent way of working. That doesn't mean that you can you can't just tell people to work independently. You also have to change all kinds of processes, how you're meeting, how you're communicating. And that can feel like work. But then many bosses who have done that kind of find that that was an investment very much worth it because then afterwards the team both is more happy with how they're working, but is also more effective. And actually it's less work for the boss if they're not micromanaging. It's interesting when you use the term in the article servant leader, it does strike me that the qualities that propel one to be a leader are not necessarily the qualities that make for a good boss. That is exactly right. The research that we looked at suggests that indeed the sort of characteristics that tend to get you promoted are not at all the kinds of characteristics that might go with being a good servant 
leader. Now, of course, there's a middle middle way and there are people who have both. But generally speaking, people who tend to get promoted are quite self-centered and very focused on their individual performance and are very good at articulating their own points of view and therefore perhaps not what servant leaders really do, which is provide a platform for their employees to to provide their best work and really praising them and supporting them rather than perhaps elevating themselves. Now, there are organizations who are starting to really look at those promotion and cultural issues to make sure that it is the servant leaders that get promoted. But those organizations are currently still few and far between. So tell me a little bit about what one can do to be a better boss. The first one is just caring, caring about your employees, asking them how they're doing and actually wanting to know what they say and then engaging with them on that level. If they're feeling terrible, trying to understand why that's happening. It's a bit like being a parent, really. There isn't right the right or wrong way to respond, but you do want to be non-judgmental and empathetic to understand what's going on with that person and how you might be able to either help or how you together might be able to solve that problem. And that is enormously important for building trust and also building this concept of psychological safety, where people then feel safe to also be innovative, to also raise issues when the business is not going great, to come up with new ideas and and are change ready. So that sort of empathy is really critical. The other thing that I've practiced myself is just thanking people for everything all the time. Mm. Even if it's something quite small that they did, they they deserve thanks for it. Even if it's something that's part of their job, why not thank them? Because first of all, I am thankful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And second of all, it costs me absolutely nothing. And third of all, it makes that person feel better. And there is a lot of research suggesting that, you know, celebrating kind of really small steps is critical to people reaching big goals, I think is an important way of buoying and kind of enhancing well-being and satisfaction and happiness in the team. I think the other thing that I would just mention, though, is that to do these things well, to do them from the heart rather than just the head, um, does require that leader to have some self knowledge as well and to have perhaps recognized the importance of that emotional connection with their workers and that's not easy for everyone and there you know I think managers and leaders can do a lot of things just in terms of building their self-awareness whether it's you know signing up with a coach or or just reflection or asking for feedback and all those though all those things will kind of roll them as a leader will maybe make them a bit more humble And therefore, that will allow them to kind of observe better what impact they have on the people around them. Did you notice any particular differences in terms of demographics or geographic differences as well? Once you kind of correct for basic features like income levels and so on, there are surprisingly few differences, whether it is between different ages, whether it is between different geographies or indeed whether it's between different genders. And to me, this speaks to the universality of the boss factor. And in some ways, it really doesn't surprise me. Like the world ultimately is made up of people and people ultimately thrive on relationships. That's really, really important for how they feel about themselves and and how well they're then able to perform. And so 
in some ways, um, you would expect this to be the case across all kinds of businesses. Where we did see some differences was by sector. I talked earlier on about this idea of like the more autonomous people feel and the more trusted almost to get on with their work and the more empowered, the happier they are in their job, but also in their lives. And there are many sectors like especially professional services, creative industries, where people can have those kinds of roles. But then there are quite a few where people do not feel that they can do their jobs very autonomously and where perhaps even the culture is a little bit more top-down command and control. And I suspect that if we were able to dig deeper into that, we would find that even in those sectors, there are some businesses that are able to bring much more of that kind of autonomy to bear. It doesn't really take much. Even if you're, let's say, in a manufacturing setting, one of the things you can do is you can just have a five-minute meeting at the beginning of every shift to say, hey, how is everybody? Do you guys have any ideas about how we could improve what we're doing today? I mean, obviously, you can only start doing that once you've already built some trust with your workers. But if you create that culture and environment of soliciting ideas bottom up and giving people a sense that they own a lot of what happens in the team and in the factory or in the workplace that you're talking about, then uh, you could do it in pretty much any sector. I'm intrigued by how this ties back to success. There's now such a lot of research that shows that happier employees are more productive, are more engaged employees are more loyal, you know, they generate better customer loyalty, they are less likely to leave. All of these kind of positive feedback loops mean that it's such a win-win. And then, you know, looking at the data, it was just so stark, this impact that the bosses have, that the vast majority of somebody's job satisfaction is really about how they perceive their relationship with their boss. You would think that it could be things like pay or it could be things like, you know, how exciting or interesting or important their job is. But actually, the biggest impact is from their relationship with their boss, even if what they're doing is a pretty mundane job. And so that got us thinking that there's kind of something missing in the ESG debate here. Like people are looking outside, they're looking to how you can help the community or how you can help your supply chains or how you can reduce your environmental footprint. But the truth is that by looking inside and looking at the often thousands and thousands and thousands of people that large companies employ, you can actually make a huge contribution to society by just making sure that those people are better off from a well-being perspective. They're more satisfied with their lives because they're more satisfied with their jobs. Should it alter how we think about promoting people? Definitely the promotion and also other kinds of recognition that goes on in an organization is a really powerful signal to everybody who works there. It's a really powerful way of essentially changing behaviors. And if you don't change who you promote, then you might be saying with your words that you would like your organization to be an inclusive one, which looks after the well-being of employees. But if that's not backed by actual actions when it comes to promoting people, and if you promote people who are superstars in terms of delivering, I don't know, customer uh, accounts and sales, but actually treat their people badly, then you, you're sending a very conflicting signal actions speak louder than words. So you do really have to also change how you 
basically praise and promote people, how you appraise them. So when everybody has their performance reviews, what gets, gets looked at and emphasized. And you also need the bosses themselves at the very top. So in other words, the kind of executive cadre to in their day-to-day experience with the people that they work with to be showing and exhibiting these these traits so that the people who are kind of looking up to the role models at the top of the organization can recognize that this is important. They mean it when they say it. I know you've done a lot of work looking at overall wellness, well-being, I guess would be the right term. What is the advice you have to bosses to get to a place where they can even start to be better bosses? That's an incredibly important question because you're quite right that even though it sounds easy, (laughs) it's not necessarily easy. And part of that is because I guess an awful lot of us haven't gotten used to or haven't been taught to bring our emotions and our whole self to work. And if you've done something that's made you fairly successful, that has excluded that dimension of you, then kind of relearning and and reopening up to that as a possibility takes a bit of time. I would say there are kind of two different approaches and both can work and possibly you might want to do both in kind of parallel. The first one, of course, is that there are many training courses and, and coaches who can help you with that kind of unfreezing of how how you think about yourself in the workplace and how you think about your success and how you think about the almost like the value you create and you know start opening you up to the fact that actually an enormous amount of value that you can create is by just being really nice to the people you work with because that makes their lives better and what is more important than making people's lives better right and as a bottom line impact you as a bonus also get that better performance from the team as well So there's that kind of unfreezing, opening up, maybe using coaching or training or, you know, in some cases, even things like meditation or sort of self-exploration. But the other thing is, you know, I have found that in some cases, fake it till you make it. The sort of thing like, you know, thanking everybody. I, I would basically challenge everyone to say, well, do you really not want to thank them? And I think you can, everybody could find one or two things to thank everybody in their team about every day in a way that actually was sincere. And then the, the beauty of the fake it till you make it approach in these kind of small ways is that when you start seeing the positive effects that that has on people and their kind of levels of energy and their joy at work, quite frankly, is that you want to do more of it. And then suddenly it's not faking anymore. You're actually just doing it because you want to do it because you can see and feel the benefits yourself. Mm. And so I think every leader and every boss will perhaps want to take their own approach to this. But I would say, you know, as you said earlier, think about what makes you feel safe or, you know, in a place of psychological safety. So you feel able to take those steps. And then think also about what are the, some of the really small things you could start doing today that can build up to a workplace where people feel appreciated and they feel trusted and they feel that their boss is in their corner. Do you see a different kind of role for the boss going forward? I think COVID and automation and the future work, all of these are kind of pressures that are piling up on top of existing pressures. And in that sense, I just see the importance of the role of the boss growing. Yes, there's going to be more change in the workplace. So that change is going to be need to be handled. 
by bosses that are sensitive to how they can support their workers to to move into perhaps a different set of tasks and a you know learn a new set of skills. Also, more and more of the jobs that we're going to see humans do in the future, as opposed to machines, who can do quite a lot of you know lots of calculations and lots of automated tasks really really well is that humans are going to be increasingly working with other humans. So in the customer interface or certainly in the healthcare sector or or public sector, very much in the kind of care interface. And the boss of the future will really need to have excellent emotional intelligence to be able to not just command and control a team, but actually support them in doing what they know as the frontline worker is the best thing to do for any particular customer or any particular patient, say, in a hospital. And I think that's going to be a bit of a revelation for certain types of leaders or or managers who've maybe grown up in a slightly more command and control environment. But once they move more and more into a situation where they're managing large groups of people, and not just people in a sort of technocratic way, but people in a people occupation, there will be many aspects that I think will come through that will reinforce the things that we we suggest in the article around psychological safety, you know, trust, building those relationships, and really just helping people to have meaningful jobs that they look forward to coming to. Great. We've talked a lot about the boss and what they can do to be better, but how can we help our bosses be better since we seem to be unhappy according to the research that you've done? That's right. Well, not not everybody is unhappy, but yeah. there's definitely room for improvement in, in most cases, in most organizations and in, in most teams. So it's kind of the same thing in some ways, but in reverse, it's all about relationships. And so how do you build a good relationship with your employee is pretty much the same as how you would build a good relationship with your boss, accepting that they're human, understanding that they will occasionally be stressed out, um, you know, recognizing and empathizing with the pressures they're under and building that kind of trust-based communication that allows you to understand what's going on for them, but perhaps invites them to ask what's going on with you. And then I think for a lot of people, of course, if you want to be empowered and you want to be given a role that's quite autonomous, then you do need to show that you can be trusted. You need to be reliable. You need to do what you promised you would do and create that sort of mutual recognition. And that, I think, also is a win-win both for the boss and the employee themselves. Well, very good advice. Thank you very much uh, for joining us, Tara. Thank you, Diane. My pleasure. And thank you, all of you who have tuned in. If you'd like to hear more, you can go to the boss factor at McKinsey.com. That was Tara Ellis, who is the Director of Research and Economics in McKinsey's UK and Ireland office. I'm Diane Brady. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people and our latest thinking, Visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.